Test, it's on, it's on, it's loud, honey. No, I think we might have a connection issue somewhere. Testing, can you hear me through the, the headphones? It's, pop, it's out in the lobby. Check the meters on the board. Are the both meters left and right moving? Not to your left, to your right, where it says output. No, 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 not there, sweetie. On the mixer board, right in front of the mains, there's two sets of LEDs. Are they moving? The left is moving only?
Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Exodus 12, verse 13. Tonight, a video series. Uh, is, is that Ligonier? That, that, it's uh, not Ligonier. Yeah, it, is. it is. It's from Ligonier? Okay. Samson. It's uh, on Samson. So tonight, be out for that. Six o'clock and figure food, foods as uh, normal. Easter breakfast next Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m., followed by our uh, early service at 9.15, and then morning worship at the normal 10.30. No evening service. The menu is posted on the helps board. That's right outside of this door. Uh, sign up today for uh, food items and the number who will be attending. Prayer meeting, Wednesday at 7, Andrea's number, financial note, acts and facts are here for uh, April, and also the Free Grace broadcaster. Are you game? Bowling, Friday night, May 17th, 6.30 till 8, at Gerlax in Lapeer, $3 per person per game for two games. Sign up on the helps board again. And so we can know how many lanes to reserve. Uh, the grill and concessions are available, uh, of course, at additional charge. So you can come along and uh, play, or if your back is like mine, you may want to watch. <laughs> Great. Amen. Sounds like fun. Amen. <laughs> All right. Anything I've missed today? Our scripture for meditation is uh, Exodus 12, read 1 through 11.
Let's stand and ask the Lord to bless us as we worship. Ed, would you open for us today? morning. Take your brown hymnal this morning and turn to number 211. 211 in the brown.
be seated. And see a bunch of hands in the back already. Uh, Lydia, yours was the first one that I saw. It's been a while. Do you have a hymn, Lydia? Um, 308 in the red. 308 in the red. Do you have a reason for this hymn for 308, Jesus Paid It All in the Red? Just like it. Okay. And it, is, um, it says it all. Jesus paid it all. Scripture reading this morning is First Peter, and we'll be reading chapter 1, 17 through 25. 
887 in the Pew Bible. I'm sorry. 1887 in the Pew Bible. Is it me today? All right. Let's stand together as we read. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 25. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. That God would bless His Word. Take your brown hymnal once again and turn to 199. <clears throat> 199 in the brown. <clears throat> Oh, for the guilty fears 
Our scripture text this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. As we continue to move through 1 Peter in our series, Christian Living in Perilous Times, we learned last Lord's Day of redemption's costly price. All mankind is enslaved by three spiritual enemies. The world, and by that we mean its thinking or philosophy. The flesh, our own sinful desires. And the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren, spoken of such in scripture. This triad enemy holds us captive to do their will because of our fallen nature. We cannot free ourselves. And these enemies will accept no ransom payment. Therefore, God does not negotiate with them. Instead, he does battle with them, destroys them, so that he may set us captives free. Now, God did this by sending his own son, Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice. And not simply perfect in the sense of the best choice, but perfect in the sense of righteousness and without sin. And as Jesus took the place of his people under the curse of God's law, For their sin, once that law had been satisfied and justice was served, our spiritual enemies had to release us. Had to release us. There's no negotiation in this. As the hymn writer says, God breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. We also trace how this occurred with regard to the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible affirms Jesus' victory by telling us that he ascended on high after his resurrection and he led captives captive. We're now the slaves of Christ, bound to his righteousness, where before we were bound to sin. Radical result is righteousness which brings about eternal life. And we are emancipated. Now we're still struggling because we're still living in this sinful body and we're living in a sinful culture, in a sinful world. But there's no discussion as to outcomes. and That's not equivocated in any way. That victory has been won in Christ. We're just waiting for time. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today is, you know, time, calendar, events of that nature and and where we are in the whole scenario that God has laid out for us. So we're going to be talking about timing. And I hope you will all be able to see that your salvation uh, was on purpose. It was not an accident, even though... God reached way into uh, the future from eternity past. 
to bring about our salvation. The neat thing about God is that he controls everything, all the time sequences that is part of our culture. Well, let's ask the Lord to be with us and enable us as we study this topic this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your uh, grace and goodness to us. We thank you that uh, timing, as we're going to talk about today, it's not just there. It's just not on an automatic uh, clock ticking away, but it's all under your control. And I pray that you will help us to see that and then to rejoice in that because you're the giver of time and you orchestrate it. Indeed, the scripture says our times are in the Lord's hands. And that should give us comfort. It's not just clicking away by some kind of random chance. No, we're under the hands of Almighty God. And I pray that you'll help us to see that. The politics, the governments, the nations that rise, the nations that fall, everything that happens, the timetable, it's all under your grace and your control. Help us to see that this morning and to have comfort from it in Christ's name. Amen. Today I want to talk about the Lamb of Eternity and Time. The Lamb of Eternity and Time. And if you have thought about this, and I'm sure you have, timing is very important on a lot of things, right? Timing is important. Sometimes people will say of certain things, well, timing is everything. I've heard that expression used many times. Well, I would not say that in reference to spiritual truths, but I would say that timing is often very, very important. In fact, the Bible itself makes a point of time on a number of occasions. For example, in Romans 4, Paul is arguing for justification, that's salvation, Based on faith, not on works. Based on believing God, not on obedience to the law. And he uses Abraham as example of how men are justified or declared right before God. That's a very important subject. How can a person be viewed as right in the eyes of God? It's the theme of the entire Bible. How can a sinner be declared righteous? The good works religions of the world would say, well, for sinners to become righteous before God, they have to turn over their lives and do more good and practice those things than evil from the time they turn over that leaf. And then, when God sees their change of heart, he will acknowledge that they are truly sorry for their sin and have changed for the better. And as a reward, God's reward will be uh, forgiveness and salvation. That's all the religions of the world except true Christianity. Well, I want you to think, in that scenario, who is the Savior? Who's the Savior? (laughs) Well, it's the sinner himself or herself. Why? Because he or she is the one who turned over the new leaf. 
the sinner reformed. He mended his ways. And so he has earned God's forgiveness. Salvation then becomes a matter of pushing the correct buttons to please God where before our behavior offended God. And then God rewards us for deeds well done, for pushing the right buttons. May I say that Paul argues emphatically against such a scenario, saying, here it is, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, that is by doing good, he had something to boast about, but not before God. And then he asked this question, what does the scripture say? And he answers his own question. I'm glad he did, because then there's no doubt. What does the scripture say? Here's what it says. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. We all know that, right? You put your 40-plus hours in, and you get your check on Friday. The boss does not say, oh, before you leave today, I want to make sure that you have this gift when you go home. Well, we would look at him, gift, what gift? And you'd look at your check to see if there was some kind of a bonus on there. <laughs> There's no bonus. There's just the regular pay for your 40 hours and so forth. It's an obligation. You put in the work, you got paid your, uh, your uh, hourly rate or whatever it was, and if you're a salary person. And it's an obligation. It's not a gift. However, to the man who does not, I'm reading scripture, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Romans 4, verses 2 and following. Simply put, was Abraham declared righteous before God because he worked really, really hard at being good? Or was he justified because when God promised him that a savior, a seed, was coming in his descendants who would pay for his sin. He believed God. Well, Paul affirms that it was this latter. There was no justification by good works, but because Abraham trusted God's promise. I'm promising you. There is one coming in your line, in your descendants, that will save you from your sin. And Abraham believed that. Now as we proceed through Romans 4, Paul hones in on this thing of timing as he asks, Is this blessedness, this salvation, is this only for the circumcised, that is the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, that's us Gentiles? That's a good question. Is it just for Jews or is it also for Gentiles? He goes on. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Now, under what circumstance was it credited? He's pushing the idea, you see. He's making us think. 
Under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? I'm reading scripture here. He answers his own question. It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father, Abraham is, of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. Romans 4, verse 9 through 11. Now, you see what he's doing here. The terms after, before, these are time references, right? We think, who cares? <laughs> who cares when Abraham was counted righteous before God? Well, the answer is, as a Gentile, that would be me and you, as a Gentile, a non-physical Jew, I care whether it was before or after, and you should too. Why? Because Paul is arguing for salvation based on faith in God's promised seed, Jesus and not because someone obeyed the law of circumcision. The fact that Abraham was declared righteous by God at a time in his life before he underwent circumcision means that no one can say that Abraham's circumcision contributed to God forgiving him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Abraham was forgiven because he was a circumcised Jew. No, you can't say that. Timing is different. Now, this circumcision issue kept raising its ugly head throughout the book of Acts. As the Jews became Christians, and yet they kept arguing that to be truly saved, or can I say fully saved, one had to believe in Jesus. Yes, of course, yes, believe in Jesus, but also be circumcised. You can read about the controversy. It's in Acts 15, the first five verses, which was the impetus behind the Jerusalem council. The church says, you know, boy, we better get together and have a council on this and talk it all out and argue it all out and think it all out and come up with some kind of decision because obviously the gospel is moving from the Jewish community to the Gentile community and we got all these Gentiles claiming to be saved, but they're not circumcised. What are we going to do about that? So they got together to talk it out. And that's Acts 15. And Paul's argument in Romans 4 on the timing about Abraham's justification put to rest, or it should, any suggestion that men are saved by belief in Jesus and some additional obedience to the law. And Paul uses timing to make the point. Timing, timing. Again, in John 4, we have this account. Once more, speaking of Jesus, once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, 
He went to him and he begged him to come to heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miracles and signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. And the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. And we read, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus has said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. John 4, verse 46 and following. What John is telling us is this, that knowing the time, knowing the time of his son's recovery from his deathbed played a vital role in this official's conversion. He could not, like so many infidels in our day, Dismiss the connection between his son's healing and Jesus' words, your son will live. It was the timing of the event, as much as anything, that convinced this official that Jesus was more than a mere man. So then we come back to our text and we listen to Peter teach on Christ as the Spotless Lamb of God, whose blood was shed for his people on Calvary's cross to free them from a life of sin and its consequences. And what does Peter do? He uses time references. Verse 20, he says, He, referring to Jesus as the Lamb without blemish or defect, verse 19, the Lamb to be sacrificed as a ransom price to set his people from slavery. He was chosen, that is, for that role, before the creation of the world. Before. Now again, the word before, that's a time reference. Peter is telling us that when God decided that his son Jesus would become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world... John 1.29, the baptizer's proclamation. And we were surrounded, oh, wait a minute. If this happened before the creation of the world, then there was no earth, no sun, no moon, no stars, no planets, no vegetation, no reptiles, birds, or certainly no human beings. Most importantly, no sin, so no need for a sacrificial lamb. To be appointed as the ransom price to secure forgiveness and redemption. Well, I'm so glad that you're thinking hard on these issues this morning with me. You're beginning to see the importance of timing in spiritual things. Peter is saying to us, is he not, that God's salvation was not, was not an afterthought with God. 
It was not a determination to save based on the actions of man. God does not react to us. He does not react to what we do or don't do. No, we react to him and what he does. Adam and Eve's disobedience to his prohibition against partaking of the forbidden fruit did not take God by surprise. He already had a plan for redemption in place and a ransom, a payment in place, a spotless lamb that would satisfy his own justice and reconcile sinners to his good graces. The lamb chosen before the foundation of the world. Timing. The timing. God isn't reactive. Oh, Adam sin, Eve sin. Now what am I going to do? Oh, let's see. Got to come up with a plan here. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, uh, I'll um, well, I, I could send my perfect son. God doesn't operate that way. What are the implications of God's timing? Well, let me list some for you. Number one, an appointed lamb implies an appointed people for whom the lamb was sacrificed. This is not, you know, out in the air thing. It's a real thing. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. Ephesians 1, verse 3 and following. Or again, he writes, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved. Wow. Chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 and 14. To Timothy, Paul said, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace, listen, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Wow, Second Timothy 1, verse 89. And this grace, I might add, was only possible because in the mind of God, His son, the lamb, had already been sacrificed. Revelation 13, verse 8, puts it this way. He calls Jesus the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. There you have it. The appointed lamb for an appointed people. 
Secondly, an appointed lamb had an appointed people. It implies also a personal salvation. Think about this. Appointed, appointed. While it's true that the promise of God made to Abraham was that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the shore, Genesis 22, verse 17, we ought not to think of God saving people en masse, that is, as nameless, uh, faceless, unidentified people selected by the roll of the dice or the fickle finger of fate. No, 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 that's not how salvation comes about. There's nothing chancy about it. Say, how do we know this? Well, because... Get it now. The chosen are identified by name in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. Paul pleaded with the elders of the Philippian church to help Uria and Syntyche, two women, to resolve their differences. They were having squabbles. He writes this way, Yes, can I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women have contended with me at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, they're not dead yet, right? But he's talking about these two women as being already listed in the book of life, Philippians 4, verse 3. Or again, John was told, the beast which you saw once was, now, is not, and will come out of the abyss and go to his destruction, the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. Revelation 17, verse 8. Here's another text that says that their people's names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the creation of the world. Revelation 13 verse 8 says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Revelation 13 verse 8. Salvation is personal. It is by name. There's a book. There's a roster of life. There's a roll call. People's names are on that roll. When were their names put on the roll? Well, before the creation of the world. Wait a minute. They weren't around when before the creation of the world. They were around in the mind of God. You don't have a computer like this, by the way. We, we marvel at what our computers can remember and what they can catalog and what they can store. But God has the name of all of his people in the Lamb's Book of Life before any of those days ever came to be. Before you were born, your days were numbered. David says that. Before any of them were ever came to be, they were written in your book. 
yearbook. Thirdly, an appointed lamb implies but one Savior, and all who reject him will be condemned. Scripture says, I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 12, verse 15. Or again, Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, that is, into heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, verse 27. Sounds like this book of life is pretty important, huh? Most of the large cities of our country, there are, well, I would call them exclusive clubs. There's athletic clubs, there's social clubs, there's business clubs, there's country clubs. Even Lapeer has a country club. It's out there off an Epicing Road. Even Christians have clubs. The YWCA, the YMCA. Clubs. You cannot just walk up to the meeting house of any of these groups, knock on the door, and expect to gain access simply because you want in. Think about this. Even Sam's Club and Costco Club, which are shopping clubs, you have to show some form of identification to demonstrate that you have membership, you have right to purchase from them. No card, sorry, no entry. God has an exclusive club, but with a universal invitation. It goes like this. I tell you, Luke 12, verse 8, I tell you, whoever acknowledged me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. Whoever acknowledges me. John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3 verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Does any of this sound prohibitive? Is Jesus saying, you know, I know there are just thousands of people who want to be saved and escape condemnation, but sorry, sorry, my father did not write your name down in the ledger, so too bad, you're out. Is that what it's saying? No. 
That's not what is going on. What is going on is whoever does not believe is condemned. John 3 verse 18. Or again, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. John 6 verse 36. What's the big problem here? Jesus tells us what the problem is. This is the verdict, says Jesus. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Wow. Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. There it is. Will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But, Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. John 3, verse 19 and following. There you have it. The problem is not that Jesus won't receive sinners, but that sinners won't receive him. In fact, Jesus' teaching on salvation always assures a good and gracious response from God towards those who come to Christ in faith. Let me read it for you. John 5, verse 24. The words of Christ. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. Again. John 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Or John 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or John 10, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in, he will go out, he will find pasture. John 10, verse 9. In the entertainment industry, if a position opens for a specific part, let's say in a film or in a play, you would have an agent working for you to try to get you an audition or a reading for the part. This is called a closed screening. In other words, not just anyone can walk through the door and try to read for the part. Then there is what is called an open call screening. It's kind of like American Idol on TV. Anyone who wants to try out may show up for the screening. Anyone can apply for the position. And if you're good enough, if you qualify, you move up the ladder towards final competition. Well, God's call to come to Christ as Savior is not a closed screening. It's an open call screening with some qualifications. Here it is. Whoever, whoever may come like American Idol. There's no talent required. There's no virtue expected. 
But unlike American Idol, your acceptance or your rejection is not based upon your performance. Rather, the invitation is, everyone who comes is accepted. Oh, (laughs) everyone who comes is accepted. Is that it? Yes, but therein is the bugaboo. Not everyone wants to come. Not everyone will come. Why not? Jesus tells us why not. Here's his words. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And not only exposed, but required to repent, as you know. In Acts 17, verse 30, Luke writes, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Oh, 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 that's what I'm going to have to do? I don't like that. I like my sin. I don't want to give that up. Well, your choice. Give it up or lose salvation. So what I am saying is if you are not saved this morning, it isn't because your name is missing from the Lamb's book of life. It's because you will not come to God in faith and repent of your sins. God accepts no blame for your condemnation. Paul told that stubborn and unrepentant person in is self-condemned, Titus 3, verse 11. Self-condemned. So it's kind of like, look in the mirror of God's word, what do you see there? What's the reflection? Do you see a believer or do you see a skeptic? Do you see one seeking to know the truth or one who doesn't want to face the facts? Do you see one repentant, broken over personal sin, or one determined to hang on to and run from any and all exposure from the light of God? Be honest. An appointed lamb implies an appointed people for whom Jesus was sacrificed. Secondly, a personal salvation, it's by name. Thirdly, that there's one Savior. Those who reject Christ will be barred from heaven. Now, one last point before we move on. An appointed lamb, point four, with an appointed people and salvation implies a secured inheritance in glory. We read, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Matthew 25, verse 31. 
not an accident even on judgment day all started in eternity past or again we read blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they will see god blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of god blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven matthew 5 verse 3 and 5 Or Paul puts it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Listen to Jesus' own prayer to his Father and to ours. He says, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me with your, in your presence with the glory I ever had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. John 17, verse 4 and following. And in that same chapter, verse 24 and 25 says, Father, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. What he's saying is that the kingdom inheritance is a done deal and has been waiting since the creation of the world for all believers to experience that. The blood ransom of the Lamb has secured it. The writer of Hebrews says because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, the two unchangeable things are God's promise and his oath. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. You have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm, secure. It enters in the inner sanctuary, behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He's become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6, verse 17 and following. 
That's the Lamb of eternity. All in eternity past. But then secondly, there's the Lamb of time. That is to say, the Lamb of eternity became the Lamb revealed in these last times, says Peter. What's the difference between success and failure? Well, it's the thin line between planning and implementation. Between a dreamer and a doer. Some people are good with ideas. I call them the idea people. They will wow you with their ideas. But they will discourage you by their failure to move from blueprint to reality. God is not like that. What good is a Savior chosen in eternity to be the sacrificial lamb for sin who never makes it to earth in human form so that he is susceptible to suffering and pain and death? Eternal plans are great, but what about the times in which we live? How does Jesus the Lamb relate to me and relate to you? A Savior in the heavens is a great ideal, but I need a Savior on earth. I need a perfect man to pay my debt to the broken law of God. And there's no hope for me or hope for you with a spirit Savior No, we need a tangible flesh and blood here and now representative of humanity to do battle with the enemies of our souls and to win. And that's what we have in Christ. Do you know that all prophecy converges on this promised one? Isaiah the prophet says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child. And we'll give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us, God here on earth, God with us. Isaiah 7, verse 14. He goes on to say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. New Testament gives us the fulfillment. When the time had fully come, writes Paul, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Galatians 4.4. 4. John puts it this way. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4, verse 9 and 10. 
Not up just staying up there in heaven. He sent him down here. Paul writes, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Yes, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 4. What, he, what they're saying is that the lamb materialized. He became human. He became one with us. That he might represent us. Now what was the godly result of the lamb's coming? Verse 2, verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead. And glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. First Peter 1, verse 21. The godly result is that those for whom the ransom was paid are freed or redeemed from their life of sin and unbelief and now exhibit faith in God, belief in the resurrected Lord, and they have assured hope in God for daily living and for future outcomes. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer afraid to die. We're no longer bound to wickedness and God's wrath. We've been emancipated from the dungeon of darkness and been brought into the kingdom of light. Hallelujah for the Savior. We love the light. That's what distinguishes us from people of the world. Where's our confidence? Well, Wesley put it in song, in his lyrics. Here's his lyrics. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner. Wesley had it right. The bleeding wounds of Christ plead for our forgiveness and assure our ransom. Have you taken refuge in Christ? Have you obeyed the gospel call? Have you come to the foot of the cross to plead with the Savior to be your Savior? You don't just say, well, I know he's a Savior. Is he your Savior? The call of the gospel is this. The Holy Spirit says, today. That's our time reference. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Peter tells us that God chose Jesus as the sacrificial lamb for sin before the creation of the world. But he goes on to say he was revealed in these Last times for your sake. Chosen way back there in eternity for way in the future to the year 2019 
for you. So that's a lot of people that God has to keep track of. Yeah. But he's written everybody's name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I take that to mean his memory. God knows all things. In fact, the scripture says the Lord knows those that are his. Paul makes the time reference even personal, saying today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, so don't let your time slip by. God commands all men everywhere to repent now. Why would you hold on to your sin and be misery for many, many more years? Come to the cleansing blood which flows from Emmanuel's veins. Come now. Come today. And if you hear God's voice, he's calling you today. Say, well, I'll just put... I'll, I'll think about it. Well, you may think yourself right into hell simply because you may not be around tomorrow to think about it. You may not be around the next hour to think about it. That's why the scripture always addresses salvation in the present tense. Today, today, today. Can you hear God's voice? Can you hear the heart of conviction? That's a blessing in itself because many don't hear. They don't hear. You've experienced that. You've talked to your relatives that don't know the Lord and You've tried to share the gospel with them and they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know they went right over their head. It, it, it didn't make a dent in them at all. What we're asking when we pray the, the Holy Spirit to work in people's life, we're praying that the Holy Spirit will make a dent. Get past the walls the resistance, the defiance, that God will turn them around and help them to look into the mirror of the Word of God and say, yeah, that's me. I'm lost. I need Jesus' salvation. Father, we thank you for your Word. It's powerful. It's sharp. It's a sword. And what do swords do? Swords cut people. Swords make people bleed. Sometimes we need to be cut. We need to bleed. That is to say we need to wake up. When we look into the mirror, we don't see sleeping beauty. We see a witch. We don't see perfection. We see sin, the struggles of it, the blackness of it, the bondage of it. And only one can release us from all of that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Only you have the power to defeat 
sin in our lives, Lord. We would desire that for each one here today. May this be the day that you add to your kingdom one, two, a few more people. To the praise of your glory we ask. Amen. Our closing hymn is from 197 in the brown. We don't sing this hymn very often, so I'm going to ask Jared if he'll play it through for us. Hear the story from God's word that kings and priests and prophets heard. That there would be a sacrifice and blood would flow to pay sin's price. Precious lamb of glory. Let's stand together and sing. Play it through for us, Jerry. Thank you.
Brother Doug, would you close for us, please? Our Lord, we are grateful. This reminds me of our time around the table as we contemplate the Savior's blood, yes. the precious lamb. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can sit under this teaching and we can be reminded of how great a Savior we have. Lord, I ask that you be with us as we go this afternoon and gather us again. To be your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed. <clears throat>